good evening, mon frere. I am the Green Goblin, and you are listening to Spectacular Radio. Face it, Tiger. It's much more fun than an ultimate podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Spectacular Spider-Man! Just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus. From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. We're Venom! The Green Goblin doesn't take orders from insects. The Green Goblin swaps them into oblivion. Oh, you better not get your goop in my hair. Spider-Man! Threat or menace? Someone is so getting the look. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead, try. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com and the Grand Poobah of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Of course, this is not my show. This is the uh, the man known as Greg Mishansky, Greg XB. Greg, who do we got in this episode? Well, if you're smart, you'll keep your forked tongue quiet and slink off with your tail between your legs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thank, thank you for the introduction, Zach. And joining us for the first time is the writer of this episode and the writer of a few other episodes, Nicole Dubuque. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You did. Thank you. And joining us, as usual, is the supervising producer and story editor of the show. And after seeing the photograph he posted on Twitter the other day, Gandalf the Gray. <laughs> not everyone's on twitter oh i'm actually gonna go log on right now to see that somehow i missed that so <laughs> greg's quarantine beard was legendary i was i was gonna compliment him as a, as a bearded fellow myself I, excellent uh, yeah yeah greg made me feel self-conscious about mine i ended up trimming mine when i looked in the mirror and started singing helter skelter <laughs> Oh, 2020, what a weird year. Oh, yes. So, That's a nice word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll keep it PG-13. How's that sound? Sounds good. And we are. I want to thank you both for coming on, and we are going to be discussing the episode subtext. But before we dive into the episode... Nicole, um, before we ask you your supervillain, um, your superhero origin, I almost said supervillain. Sorry, I'm not a supervillain. <laughs> you know me so well, my gosh. <laughs> I was about to talk this guy. We've actually met twice at um, two of the gathering of the Guardwells conventions way back in the day. I remember Greg introduced all of us to you, at least when I encountered you for the first time in 2006. It was a blue mug guest late at night in the um, hotel suite. There's about a hundred of us packed in there. And then Greg, I'm sure you remember this. You stood up on the tape on, on the table, yelled, and then he got us all kicked out of the suite. <laughs> Good times. That does, sound, that does sound like me. Didn't we end up going to a room afterwards, like somebody's room to finish it? Am I remembering that correctly? I think we tried to go into one of the panel rooms and that same security guard wouldn't let us. <laughs> we went over to the hotel bar. All right. Yeah. Sounds like that security guard was just a stick in the mud. Oh, he was. <laughs> and then I mean, 
I mean, who wouldn't want to see a Greg Wiseman jumping up on a table? Like, I mean, that that just sounds like a party. I mean, <laughs> yes. And then we met. We, we were having we were having fun until uh, someone lost an eye, and that's when the fun stops. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like almost as if you uh, you were in a bar that was set on fire unintentionally by a flaming man or something. Oh, okay, all right, sorry. Try to tie it back to the episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. And then one more thing, we met again at uh, t- in at 2009 Alaska Gathering. You ended up signing my copy of the radio play script. And um, I remember you said, because that script was about, what was it, Greg, 80, 90 pages? He said, if we ever turned any of this in, Greg would hit the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Um, also, usually the length of my scripts. So there you go. <laughs> nice. And uh, as I recall, the time and this show, the integrity you had, I handed you my copy of the season one DVD, and you were reluctant to sign it because you hadn't written any episodes for the first season. So, Great. so I do remember that, and that was uh, really cool of you. Also, not to be a cre- feeling like you would be a credit hog, not wanting to do that. So. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of you to say. Um, I'm just thrilled I got to join the, the crew on the second season because this show was so much fun to work on. It was. So um, we'll dive into what was your supervillain origin? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're talking about how did I get started in writing, um, I, I assume that's what you mean instead of Doomsday Devices. Um, <laughs> my first actual credit was on uh, Kim Possible. Back in 2002, um, I was brought on as an apprentice staff writer there, and um, it actually was based on a spec script that I wrote uh, for that show. Mark and Bob hired me, and then from then on, I just kept working. That's kind of how I started. Nice. And and then how did you um, come about getting this gig? So uh, the first show that I worked on with Greg was Witch, and... Um, I think I told this story before, but I'm happy to embarrass myself and tell it again. I was a huge fan of Gargoyles. And so, you know, meeting Greg was was incredible. Uh, I was so excited. I ran across him in the hallways of our agency because we had the same agent. And my agent introduced me to him. And I was just getting ready to go on a trip to Scotland. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to tell this man who created Gargoyles that I am going to Scotland. And beyond that, I actually had Scottish flags pinned on my toenails for the occasion. And so that's the first thing I said upon meeting Greg Wiseman was, I have Scottish flags on my toes. And uh, he said, yes, yes, you do. (laughs) So uh, I I was terrified to be writing for him after um, that wonderful professional introduction. Uh, But it turned out to be a fantastic experience. Um, After which I think was Spider-Man the next show we worked on together, Greg? Do you remember? Uh, it would have to be because that was the next show that I uh, okay story edited, so it, gotcha. it couldn't. There wasn't anything in between, so good. Okay, I'm um, losing track because you and I have worked together so often now, um, which is always fantastic. So yeah, that's that's actually how we got to know each other. Now, didn't you also come to a gathering as a fan? Some oh yes, cosplay sometime earlier. This is true. This is true. So I actually had met Greg earlier than that. Only recently did we connect over this because I, I hid this pretty well because uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted I to separate Fan Nicole. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing, right? Because Zara was there as well at that gathering. Um, but, uh, yep, I went, what year was it? Maybe 2001, did we say? Was it in California? Was it in L.A.? 
It was the LA one, yeah. It would have to be 2001 then. I was there. 2001. Yeah, so I probably met you then too, because uh, I was in the radio play and I cosplayed as a blue gargoyle. I might remember that. Who were you in the radio play? Um, who was that? It was Robin. I remember you now, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world of truly, truly is. So, so you guys have worked together on and off. What's the most recent thing you guys have done together? Can you uh, Young Justice, probably. I yeah. Mean, I did some rescue bots for you, but that was a that was a few years ago now, right? It's been a while. Yeah. I mean, what's great is that I've employed her. She's employed me. It's it's been terrific. <laughs> we keep each other going. <laughs> nice. And I was going over your Wikipedia entry, Nicole, the, the other day to prep for the interview, and um, I noticed he wrote the Young Justice episode. Image was that the one with a uh, Miss Martian and um, Beast Boy and Beast Boy's m- mom? Yep. Which amused me because when I read further, I was thinking, "Oh, you were a child actress too." I think this is why Greg actually gave me <laughs> storylines. <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> it is. It, it it amuses me to no end. It really shouldn't, <laughs> but it amuses me to no end that Nicole spent this big chunk of her life on Major Dad. Um, it's just, <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I love it. And so, yeah, when we were doing the whole Miss Martian subplot with Marie Logan and Hello, Megan, it just seemed like perfect for her to take that one. Yeah. Which won't mean much to spectacular Spider-Man fans unless they're also Young Justice fans. But, um <laughs> Well, there's, well there, there's a lot of Greg Wiseman fans out there, so they're going to watch anything that Greg Wiseman's attached to there, Greg. I know you, I know you don't want to humble uh, Greg. But... God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Nice. And since we have two showrunners here, we may have gone into this a little bit in the past, but um, you both have your different perspectives. What exactly does a showrunner do? You want to tackle that first, Greg? Uh, you go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, my, my quick answer is we have our fingers in everything. Um, so if something goes wrong, it is most definitely our fault. Um, but if we succeed, then we succeed as a crew. So we're kind of on the front lines. We're going to be weighing in on all steps of the process. So character design, scripts, um, music, sound effects, uh, editing, all of that. Every phase of the process, the records. Uh, we're kind of just overseeing the show from, from well, start to finish. And you're the ones that have to deal with the suits, too, I assume. <laughs> yes, we are the liaison in between uh, the executives and the creative side. And so that means sometimes interpreting notes uh, or being the person who delivers said notes. Yeah. So as you guys have, have well, looking back at the particular episode... Uh, Nicole, I was going to ask specifically, what was the, the mindset? This has been a long time, I understand, so you, you may not remember specifics, but when we're, when we're talking about how this episode's structured, it's very much in a flashback type of episode where we're, we're kind of coming into the middle of the action. 
what was the rationale behind it? I know the episode's named Subtext, but what was the the mindset of saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna drop everybody in the middle of the action and then use flashbacks to kind of fill in the gaps, so to speak? Well, that's actually all Greg. So when I turned in this outline and when we conceived of the episode, it was linear. And then um, after he reviewed the outline, I remember I think it was an, a phone call, and he was like, I have an idea. <laughs> this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> So that was, yeah, it's I, I didn't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why we bring, you know, uh, people that, like, wrote the episode when we can, because, you know, the, they bring little things that Greg, you know, has so much knowledge in his brain, he just forgets things. See? <laughs> it it's true. I, every time, my kids are always saying, um... Dad, you can learn this. And I said, yes, I can learn it, but then it'll push something else out that I might need more. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, exactly. I try to avoid exactly. learning new things now. Um, my uh, poor little brain is, is fully saturated. There's just no more room in there. So anything new pushes out anything old. And, and so I just have given up on, on uh, learning new things. Yeah, at this point... <laughs> At this point, I'm fairly certain that I have more fictional history in my mind than actual history. <laughs> yeah. God knows I do. <laughs> You're working on properties such as you guys have been working on and have worked on in the past. I mean, DC has, what, 80 years of history. Marvel has, you know, 50 of the Mar Marvel age. So, yeah, there's a lot of there, – there's a yeah, I understand completely. Uh, you know, as as I became a dad since this show started, it's like, oh, I, I, I learned all these dad things, and I wouldn't have known that otherwise. So it's you know one of the I, I completely understand uh, dad brain there, there, Greg, because I know you being a father and all. So I appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to agree with Zach. The non-linear format was very interesting, and I've seen you play with that a, with that quite a few times in your work. I mean. Um, it's been done on Young Justice, and I remember that three-issue arc in Gargoyles, where you, in the Gargoyles comic book, where you really played with the non-linear format. It's very Tarantino-esque. I mean, what led you to thinking that was the thing to do? Um, I, I can't remember the specifics of um, this episode. I mean, I, I think it definitely makes it more interesting. Um all the flashbacks, all the point of views on them, um, I think made it all play better. You sort of have this situation. How did we get here? Um, and then I think it was important. One thing I de definitely noticed watching it again the other night is, um, you know, you get to the point in all the flashbacks that ultimately catch you up to where the episode began. And I, I do remember thinking, that that was important, that that we all sort of, that there was one overlap moment from where the flashbacks finally end and exactly where the episode, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> exactly where the episode began. But I don't, you know, it's, I had forgotten that doing this was my idea, to be honest. And um, <laughs> so it's sort of lost in time what sort of initiated the thought process on it. Uh, I mean, Nicole, maybe you remember was the feeling that when prior, when it was linear, that it was just um, too straightforward. I mean, 
was there a sense that it needed this or just, oh, here's an idea. Let's try this just to be weird. Um, I can't remember now. I remember it as a, like, let's just try this. But I was going back and looking at the notes on the outline. And um, one of the things we were trying to solve at one point was that we felt like we were going back to the bar too many times for different reasons. So this might have been a way to kind of just play it all out in the bar without having to keep coming back to it and treat this flashbacks. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I'm literally know, like, like yeah. looking at the emails as we speak. So I'm trying to see. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed you have that stuff. Um, <laughs> Records, archives, we want them. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I. Uh, there's a lot of fun moments in, in this episode, a lot of great throwaway Easter eggs. I don't know if you guys noticed the names of all the horses and uh, at the horse during the horse race, but they're all named after the various riders on the show there's like randy man which was for randy jant and and randy called himself randy man all the time which <laughs> i always thought was awful but i loved it for it there's hops to it for kevin hops i didn't catch all of them this time through but there was definitely one for matt wayne and uh yeah wayne, wayne in spain wayne yeah. in spain yeah there's nick Wayne in spain and there's nicole and dime and then there's um there's one for kevin altieri too who directed it uh, ulterior motive, I think it is. Who's going to chance? That was just that was just what we decided it was for the for the MacGuffin horse. Well, I mean, golden chance. I mean, you have the bolted man who's exactly. Cool. I mean, yep. And we, yep. And we need to discuss some Zach. Is this the first time Molten Man's ever been in one of the shows? Yes. Uh, other than I think. Unless he showed up in the '81 series, which I don't think he did, he, I, he, did. he, he, he wasn't in the he wasn't in the '67 series, he wasn't in Amazing Friends, and he certainly wasn't in the '90s show. He's one of like four or five that was not in the '90s show, um, and for some reason, Liz was barely in the '90s show, but she was still there. Uh, so yeah, this was I think the first. And she, he definitely wasn't in Unlimited because. But less said about Unlimited, the better. Um, or the, uh, I don't think he would, I think he was going to be, the, the potential season two for the MTV series was going to have potential, I think, potentially Molten Man, but uh, I don't, this is the first time. So you guys got to animate the Molten Man for the first time in Spidey's. And I don't, I don't think he, I don't recall, now granted, I haven't watched every episode of the, the show that preceded this one, Ultimate. Uh, but I don't think he was an ultimate either. So this may be still his only appearance in animation. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, yeah, he's a Ditko villain that often gets overlooked. <laughs> yeah, yep. So, in one of like my very first issues of Spider-Man actually had Molten Man in it uh, in the in the '90s. So I, I have a soft spot for for old Multi Man. So Very cool. So let's talk about. I think that. I... Go on. I think the idea there was to sort of combine elements from Liz and Betty's history. You know, one of the things that was interesting is, okay, here's a villain, a member of Spidey's uh, Rose Gallery that um, that's actually related to one of his um, many, many lady loves. And we thought... 
that would be interesting. And then there, you know, there were elements of Betty's brother and uh, that we, the gambling addiction and stuff that I think we borrowed uh, to give to Liz's brother. And I think in the comics, Molten Man is like her stepbrother or half brother or something. I can't quite remember now. Yeah, stepbrother. Um, so we just said, well, let's just simplify that. Um, let's make him uh, just her brother. And then let's borrow some of Betty's brother's stuff and uh, give that in. And, and, you know, it was like not dissimilar to what we did with by combining Montana and Shocker. Um, maybe slightly less controversial. Not that I really thought the Montana thing was controversial, but some people did. Yeah. Uh, but we just felt like, you know, there was an opportunity to um, have a villain who connects up with our supporting cast. And thus, you know, it gave us something to do with um, not just Spidey himself, but Peter and Liz. And then by hooking up Mark and Mary Jane, we were able to bring her into this, too, and then what was great is, is it really fit nicely into our season long arc about the Shakespeare play. So, yes. Um, so we were able to make that work too. Yeah. Look, I mean, the, any way you can use a Bennett Brandt reference in, in a show, like for those, I mean, this is this is how deep this show goes. For for those that are listening, that might be listening, and they're they're still fairly new to the Spider-Man mythos, to combine Bennett Brandt, who was literally killed in like the tenth issue of Amazing Spider-Man, because of you know his gambling problems, yeah. and to be able to bring that into uh, into a series, uh, you know, it, it actually and actually be part of the original canon. I think is a testament to how much of that deep dive that you did in preparation, Greg, to to show how. Yeah, how... I mean, Go ahead. Well, left out to me. A lot of it saw Blackie. About, a lot of it for me was just about taking out the phone books, you know, the black and white, the Spider-Man, yeah. reading up top to bottom and taking notes as I went. Hey, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. And then later trying to create something cohesive and coherent out of it. But that kind and of And the other part of that is that Greg's a genius. So <laughs> <laughs> we we don't want to stroke his ego that much, but we are. If, <laughs> if that's kidding. true, it's a very limited genius. I have one skill set and I have learned to capitalize on it. That's about it. <laughs> Then you're well, lucky. You're it's, not a genius, it's not a genius that transfers over to any other skill in life whatsoever. So, Greg, what you're saying is you couldn't make your own molten man in real life? Uh, no. Uh, nor can I function in uh, doing anything else but what I do, frankly. Completely yeah. um, understandable. Well, that makes me feel better about owing you money. I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have bet on those horses. That's, that's exactly what you should have done there, Nicole. <laughs> uh, or, or, or that wrong horse, at least. But I definitely... But yeah, you owe right. money? <laughs> that was deleted out of the thing, the knowledge he's gained, see, Nicole. You didn't have to remind me. 
<laughs> no memory of why you would open that. And another aspect of the episode I enjoy while we're on the subject of the villains is the Green Goblin's pretty much complete takeover of the underworld. <laughs> yeah. He is just a magnificent bastard in this episode. And it's, you know, I like a Norman Osborn and even a Miles Ward. Hey, we don't know that yet. <laughs> it's Harry. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Right now it's Harry. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're. Uh, I was skipping ahead. Uh, I love a Green Goblin that's a magnificent bastard. You know, he's just Machiavellian and, you know, and his use of, of good old... Uh, Miles Warren, who I have a really soft, soft spot, a soft spot for. Uh, he he got a lot of play in this episode because of obviously the experimentation and just the way he looked. He he looks at uh, Connors and says, "Keep that you know forked tongue to yourself." And I'm like, "Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's 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 Miles." Yeah, I'm gonna say he, something here. It's a shame once again. A shame we didn't get a third season, but I almost think that. Would have been. We would have looked back and said that was the first appearance of the jackal. That moment. Oh yeah, I. I you definitely could see that sinister side of him in, in this particular. I mean, he was just I mean, kind of a jerk. I don't know if it was season three or not, but without a doubt, if we had gotten in, you know, our full five seasons as we were originally planned, we would have had the jackal. I mean, uh, I don't think that's a big surprising revelation. That you know, we put. Miles Warren in there. It wasn't like uh, we were unaware of his, um, you know, chronology and all that sort of stuff. So we we would have gotten to Jackal eventually. We just didn't get enough episodes. So we would never see him sniff Gwen Stacy's hair. Oh, good lord! You had to ask that question. Oh. That's always the problematic part of the Jackal. You know this, Greg. We've had this conversation. Yes, we have. On that other show. Yes. So, when we know we're building, obviously, towards Final Curtain, I was going to probably ask this next time we got together, Greg, but, uh, and Nicole, you can you can chime in, too. At this point, did you kind of get, get the feeling that we were, you, we were going to be wrapping for a series finale instead of a season finale? Did you already kind of know by this point that... Oh, no, we didn't. We didn't know we had, I mean, we didn't know we'd be picked up either. We, you know, you're just always hopeful. Right. Uh, so, you know, the, the plan was the plan. And, and like every show I do, you know, I end uh, the season with what we like to call open-ended closure. You close out the plot line for that. Then, but you leave things open for more and maybe even throw in a little, oh my God moment, if you can, at the end to sort of uh, either, if it winds up being the end, it's like you want the audience to go, damn it, I wish we had gotten more, or you um, give yourself something to grow with if you did get the pickup. But we didn't know. Um, you know, when we were, certainly when we were building the stories for this, I'm not saying that was true when we were in post-production, you know, and finishing off these episodes, but when we were creating the stories for them, um, and we would have created the stories for this whole arc um, more or less together. And I know we we did writers' meetings for each little 
you know, mini arc. Uh, and so it's not like when we did 211 here, we didn't already know what was going to be in 12 and 13. We did, but we didn't know yet whether we would get a pick. And we were just hoping we would, and then we didn't. And we'll definitely discuss that more once we get to Final Curtain. But one of the yeah. things that sticks out about this episode to me, and we've seen this in... Uh, he did something similar in Gargoyles, and I also believe in Witch also. The Green Goblin officially cements himself, to me, as the most sinister villain in the series. Here, when he just... I mean, the way he just takes control of Mark Allen, the way he does, it reminded me of when Xanatos did that to Derek and Gargoyles, and I think Narissa did something similar to... Um, what was his name? And Witch. It's been a long time, but... There's just something about that in each of these episodes from each of these shows, it just, all of a sudden, you're on a completely different level of villainy. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that I don't have any, you know, new ideas, so I just keep reusing the same <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> no, we're if not... It's a good, if it's a good idea... Uh, good idea. Go ahead, Greg. Um, you know, we... The thing you're always afraid of is villain decay. You know, if you're doing an ongoing series, um, you know, it, it's one thing to sort of take a villain who's, you know, a opponent of the week and, okay, we beat him. And then next time he either ups his ante or he just becomes a bit of a joke. But, you know, if you're talking about your major players, you've got to constantly do things um, given the fact that the hero has a tendency to triumph in the end um, so that you continue to take these villains seriously. So with a, someone like Green Goblin, um, or as you mentioned, Nerissa or Demona or, or Xanatos, you know, you need to keep upping the ante um, in interesting ways. And so this is one way to, to do that. Um, I mean, one thing that I was kind of happy with was, again, we're trying to create a cohesive universe for Spec Spidey and not just sort of, oh, uh, he got hit by lightning, so he becomes Electro. Oh, this happened to him. You know, that there's no connection between any of this, and yet all these people just happen to wind up with superpowers. So I like the idea that's in here, and I don't remember, Nicole, whether this came from you or me or uh, or who, but, um, you know, uh, Miles is saying, I went over Dr. Octopus's note that he used to create Sandman, and I see where he screwed up. So we're going to create this armor, you know, this exo armor, and w instead of doing it with the sand infusion, the silicon infusion, we're going to do it with um, uh, nanotechnology. And then the one thing that they didn't account for that sort of surprises even Green Goblin, pleasantly surprises him, but is the, all the heat that's being generated. And Goblin has this one great line where he says, is it, I wonder, is it duration or frustration that causes the heat? Like, is it emotionally driven or is it, or is it just a function of, you know, you, you put the armor on long enough and it builds up this heat? Um, and so I, I like that, that there are side effects that these scientists who are 
who are, you know, by definition, mad scientists, don't account for when they conduct these experiments. But that from their point of view, these are good side effects, you know, not for the poor schlub who gets experimented on, but from the point of view of the people pulling the strings, it's like, oh, this is great. You know, all I thought we were going to get was an armored guy. But instead we get an armored guy who melts stuff. Um, and you can throw balls of lava. And, and and I love Spidey's line, you know, I'm so due for a power-up. I was just uh, about to bring that up. That was, that was, that, I've watched it now three times in the last couple of weeks. And, I, and every time we, I get to that spot, I laugh out loud. I mean, I just, I'm like, that's just a great Spidey quill. Great line, great line. And I, one thing about Goblin I like at the end is when Molten Man doesn't quite work out the way he wanted, he doesn't throw a temper tantrum or even blame Molten Man. He almost he kind of blames himself for betting on an amateur. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know I've, I've always... Go ahead. Sorry, this is kind of like, this is a few minutes ago, so I apologize. But I wanted to, to just jump on that unexpected side effects thing, too, because I think it was important for us to kind of underscore that in the emotional part of the story as well because when someone has an addiction in this case you know gambling there are these unexpected side effects and fallout in the relationships in your life and so that was kind of like the the two-hander version of what we were doing we were seeing that mark was kind of pursuing his own um you know problems with gambling and that it was you know causing causing heat and friction in other parts of his life yeah (laughs) oh that's cool i like that did we do that on purpose? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought I was doing. Yeah. As I was writing it. That's great. Well, Greg's like not the only it. genius here. <laughs> see, see. We, we knew we had two geniuses on the line. I'm riding on the coattails. But back to, to what you were saying about Goblin, I think that that's also part of the super fun of this of this episode is that he's just kind of like out there and doesn't care in this one, you know? Like the fact that he throws on a trench coat and goes to the trap, you know, he's just like, this is it. And so when, when it happens at the end and it's like, oh, well, I feel like he just, he doesn't care at this point. He is doing his own thing. I got a, I got a real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle vibe, you know, green guy. <laughs> With a purple, with a pur- green and purple outfit, you know, like, but I mean, just the hilarity of the fact that he thinks that just throwing on the trench coat and some sunglasses is is going to be inconspicuous. I'm reading like, glasses, those are reading, reading glasses. Oh, yeah, reading glasses. Like, you know, it's, it's like just, a, a Jackie Daytona disguise, basically, that, right? Yeah, it, it's it's you can only get away with that in fiction. Like, if you if he was to wear that outfit in real life, people, especially now, you'd have everybody with the cell phone out, but. And it was kind of that way. I think honestly, you, I, honestly, I think you can only get away with that in cartoons. I think there's a different suspension of disbelief for animation right. than even in live action. I don't. I, I. I. I mean, I'm not. You get surprised all the time, particularly uh-huh. with today. But um, but this feels to me like something in live action where you'd go, "Oh, come on." Yeah, I do. How, how are people not seeing that? You know, I, I mean, but you it, know. It just, the yeah. racetrack helps it though, because everybody's looking at something else. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Everybody's distracted by by the pretty horses, so <laughs> they're there. You know. Which, by the way, when 
when Kevin Altieri found out about the racetrack thing, he's like, could you have picked something harder? Thank you so much. <laughs> and by coincidence, or maybe not by coincidence, maybe you guys did your research, there is a racetrack in Westchester just north of the county line into New York City. It's in Yonkers. I've been there a few times. I haven't gambled, but I've, there's a comic book shop nearby. Don't so. lie. Don't lie. You went, I, you went no, and gambled your comic no, book money. No, 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 no. There's a comic shop nearby that I've been to a few times. I've only ever actually gambled once, and that was when we were in Vegas, and Greg, you were in Vegas at, at that convention, and I ended up, I had a friend at the table with me, and he pulled me away from the table as soon as I was ahead, and I could feel it. I could feel that rush, that one time I did it, so I could understand what Mark was going for. It did not feel the slightest bit heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah. You know, we actually did name-check that track that you're talking about in the first draft of the script, but I think it probably got taken out because of it wouldn't clear i'm guessing yeah it's, it's the on yeah, railway i think railway i think that's what it's called i mean and i'm from new york i'm from actually live in westchester so i know it quite well so it was cool to see because spidey ever really come re- very rarely ever comes north of that county line yeah, yeah. <laughs> otherwise he's imposing on those ex people you know so <laughs> He kind of he kind of stays in his area. So now I, I, but that, I before he goes back, but that but you go back to that uh, goblin in the trench coat scene. I really yeah. like it. I remember the time it was a little it caused a little bit of contention among some fans. Some thought it was a little bit too corny. I thought it was just right. But I'm thinking if that were done in the comics, he would just be he would just be shadowed by the brim of his hat and the the implication being that he wouldn't be wearing his mask under there but i thought what you did was a little bit more fun <laughs> well and, and you're still playing with the notion right now that the, we're, we're assuming this is still hairy if you're yeah. if you're if you're not you know uh, well versed in the comics you're still thinking this is hairy and even when harry approaches uh mark and is or approaches Peter after the, after him and Mark talk, you know he's, I you almost think that oh yeah Harry's going to use this to his advantage as the Green Goblin now, so I thought that was a very genius type of subtle thing that you had Norman there in the episode too, but but Harry you know seeing what was going on and trying to offer the advice to Peter as as Harry, you know you still are thinking hey you know Harry's the Green Goblin in this series so. It's definitely uh, one of those subtle things that I really appreciated in the writing. So kudos to to both. Yeah, I mean we 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 have Harry there, and he's talking about addiction um, to Peter, who isn't supposed to know about Harry's addiction, um, even though of course as Spider-Man he does. And then you've got Norman there, who is kind of bitching about the change of plan from Hammerhead and it you know it's designed it, it makes sense for each character because Norman does know what he's doing and so he's play acting a bit and Harry is just being sincere in that moment um, and that works his sincerity works even if he is Green Goblin because we've established that Harry had no memory of be- being Green Goblin he knew he was taking the green but he didn't right. remember being Green Goblin. So um, that played with the whole uh, idea of memory loss, which became part of sort of a, a recurring excuse for 
why Norman Osborn wasn't in prison all the time um, in the True. comics. True. Um, and we weren't doing going that route, but we used it um, to help Harry be a you know a two season long red herring. Um, and so you know both those appearances feel important to me because they again we're we're trying as hard as possible to both fool the audience and play fair with them simultaneously. Um, also in retrospect we know that Harry overheard a lot of what was going on in Norman's office but no, well with episode 26 knowledge we now get the implication that Norman overheard a few things going on between Harry and Peter in Harry's room I'm specifically thinking the wonderful personality line uh, don't tell me you like the master planner and his wonderful personality uh, yeah that one, that one kind of yeah that 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 little bit too I was like uh, oh because that's one thing that you you guys brought to the series was that there was a little bit of tension between Otto and Norman and it's never really materialized in the main Marvel universe uh, so to see that especially at this point uh, see that kind of play out, you know, him making that line about Master Planners was was another one of those laugh-out-loud moments. <laughs> Considering what we know, yeah. Right, right, I exactly. Mean, I mean, Norman was engaged in adult bullying of Otto back in Episode 8. And that's before. true, that's true. <laughs> His wonderful personality, yeah, sorry. My feeble attempt at a goblin voice. But no, I, I I thought that the this is a compliment to both of you. I thought that the pacing was really good. I the, the flash the use of flashback was unique, especially in you know watching these you know back to back to back to back. But also just the the snappy dialogue, and it's not dialogue that everybody's in for the joke. It's the the everything that is said that's intended to be a joke is very organic. And as somebody that's read comics to speech for a long time and especially in the in the most recent years it seems like there's some some writers that tend to try to write everybody to make the joke and it be forced but here it all felt like okay yeah they'll you know green goblin's gonna make his his little quips too because they're kind of mirrored images of, of peter parker so with the twisted scientist scientific mind in there so i i really appreciated the way all the dialogue worked and the way as you said molten man's rage you know it, it seemed like he always had this you know this burning rage behind the facade that he'd built for himself but seeing it now outwardly manifested in those powers i thought was very very well done so kudos to both of you for that well thank you that's very kind and i am i'm high-fiving greg across the phone right now <laughs> nice. i also think we should discuss mary jane in this episode because yes. this is her highlight i think of the season sadly we won't be getting much more after after this and it really feels like she's beginning to grow up here mary jane has always been my favorite character in the mythos some people might not know that but it's actually true because i love the way she grew i feel she grew she grew with peter throughout the mythos in the comics and now we're beginning to see her develop here from someone who as we've discussed before never took emotional risks to being willing to take an emotional risk and now it does kind of blow up in her face literally <laughs> yeah i mean this was really designed 
I think to be a showcase for both Liz and, and MJ, um, you know, right from the beginning, I, I, I love the bookends of the Shakespeare scenes. Um, not just because as always, I'm a big Shakespeare fanboy, but also just because you can see how at the beginning, distracted by both of them for obviously for uh, in different ways are distracted by their concern for Mark so that um, Liz is, uh, can't focus on her lines and MJ's reading is just flat because um, she, uh, her thoughts are elsewhere. And that by the end, what they've suffered through and what they've lost with, uh, in Mark is really informing the pain in their performances in Devereaux completely oblivious to <laughs> what they've been through. And I don't blame him. How could he know? But, but he's got this one, and Jeff Bennett is so good at, at Devereaux. <laughs> um, he's got this line and, and even that little throwaway at the end, Oh, that was lovely, you know, or whatever it was he said. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, is uh, just perfect. And then you sort of go to that follow spot, which is, which Mark, you know, operated and, and there's still no one there operating it, you know, that yeah. his place is empty. Um, so the idea here was to sort of take these two young women who, who are not friends, you know, they are, you know, MJ is definitely team Gwen, <laughs> not yeah. team Liz. Um, and Liz calls her out on that. Yeah, which but is they have one, and Liz calls MJ out on the fact that she and Mark aren't in a relationship; they're in an unrelationship. Mm -hmm. But then MJ <laughs> admits that that you know Mark means much more to her than than either she or Mark have admitted up to this point. And you know, you also see these moments for Mark in there where. At first, you know, when he's told that the girls are there, he thinks Spider-Man's lying. And then when he realizes that they're not, he does everything in his power to help. The problem is everything in his power is actually making the situation worse because he, he's setting shit on fire right now. <laughs> um, and, yeah. um, and I also want a little shout out. It's a bit of a uh, digression, but a little shout out to Steve Bloom in this episode as Black. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I, by the way, that voice that he does for Blackie, I love so much that I've had him do it in four shows. Um, <laughs> it, it, it started with Witch, where he did one episode in season one, and I was not on Witch in season one, but that voice for the character Raythor just really grabbed me and made Raythor really interesting to me. So Raythor was a really minor villain in season one, that in season two, we um, sort of lifted up into being a major villain and then turned him into a hero by the end. And I loved that voice. And so I, when we did Spidey, I had him do that voice for Blackie. And then in Young Justice, uh, he did that voice for a, a minor character called Henchy. And we've gone back to Henchy over and over again, even though Henchy is literally just a henchman. Um, but he's the most interesting henchman ever because of Steve. And then I love that voice so much that when I developed uh, 
co-developed Star Wars Rebels, um, I said to Steve when he was auditioning uh, for Zeb, I said, just do your Raythor voice. So Raythor's where it started. (laughs) Yeah, it all started with Raythor. So so his voice for Zeb is is that same uh, voice that he's now done in four shows. And again, I can't take credit for it. The first time he did it, that I know of, and he may have done it 60 times before that was in season one of which I just, uh, am the guy who noticed it and said, that is a fantastic voice. And I've been reusing it over and over. <laughs> it is. Well, it is. A great I, I just, Go on. I, lo- I love minor Spider-Man characters and Blackie is one of those that is just really obscure, but I, I, I love the. St- I mean, I love the, the bit where he's like, Montana's not going to be happy about this. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yep. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it, he was definitely a, a highlight of the episode, his, his, his talent. So, yeah, it's like, boy, it's a bitsy. When he calls Spider-Man, it's a bitsy. Yeah, that was, <laughs> and of course, my or, or Spider-Man keeps rescuing the girls and leaving them. Of course, Spider-Man right. always sort of comes back for him, although treats him much rougher, but right. doesn't let him die more than <laughs> once. But each time, initially, it looks like Spider-Man's leaving him behind. <laughs> Black is like, wait a minute, <laughs> like I'm just a flunky. Come on. <laughs> This is not covered in the insurance. I also did like the line, and I appreciated this, and I don't know if this was Unicole or if it was Greg, the line about couldn't spring for a sprinkler system. Like, I was like, yeah, all right, that that solves that little, you know, why, why this underground layer would be on fire, you know, because it's definitely yeah. not up the code. How cheap is Montana? <laughs> Extremely, it seems like. Yeah, it's, I it's love not that. that. He, just thinks, he just thinks insurance is a scam. It's I was going to say, yep, never know when you need the insurance money. Yep. <laughs> is that a Texan thing, <laughs> Zach? Hey, hey, now, hey, now, just because, just because, you leave Texas out of this, all right? You know, Montana may, be, may share, a, share the Lone Star State with us, but, you know, we, we try to use insurance properly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And he, and, he, and he named his bar the Blue Sky. I love that. <laughs> well, today... Big Sky. Big, big sky. sky. Big Sky, yeah. yeah especially... Sky it's, yeah, it's... I live in the Plains part of Texas, so I, I can understand where the Big Sky Montana would, you know, it's true. Like, you can... We were just remarking the other the last night on my way home uh, that you can watch a thunderstorm and it be an over an hour away, but you can see it coming because there's it, we're flat with no trees, so there's just nothing else to see but the sky. <laughs> so I completely understand that. So, and I think we should also get into Liz and Peter's relationship because at this point in the series, it's really hanging by a thread, and both of them are making efforts to repair it but that moment where she just lashes out at him at the end i mean it comes from multiple places not just what happened to her brother and i really appreciated that i mean that's a lot of really excellent layered character work awesome i'm really glad it landed that's great yeah you can tell that this poor girl has been through a ringer just emotionally 
And getting back to what we just talked about with the with the theater scene at the end, I, the, the pain that you know collectively that they, these two characters have for entirely different reasons. You know, MJ's back history too. Like that to me, you made me care about Liz Allen when I never cared about Liz Allen, except for maybe when Harry died. Okay, so y'all y'all succeeded, y'all. I just brought up my Texan. Um, <laughs> you you guys really succeeded in making me care about characters that I didn't necessarily care about because I cared about Mark more in this series because of your writing. Same. Definitely, definitely Liz Allen is an unsmoking MVP of this show and and really a character that is so underrated in the way she's been written over the years but the life you guys brought to her is just was just something to behold so kudos to both of you yeah i want to brag on greg some more here about that i i feel like when i go to work on one of his shows i know that each one of these characters is going to be fully rounded and that we are as the audience are going to have a reaction to these characters whether we fall in love with them whether we just even see their point of view or we we loathe them we're going to connect or on some level with those characters. And I think that that's why it's ultimately so satisfying to be able to storytell um, in Greg's worlds. So that's just what I'm saying about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 well, first off, I want to give Alana Ubach who plays Liz props because she brings a ton to the table yes. for us in humanizing yeah. the character. Um, but also, you know, it, it's just that's just more interesting to me. You know, it, 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 just having this girl who. But it's great to take any character and sort of show them, uh, show the audience their journey. So starting Liz, um, where we did, uh, first off is the snooty cheerleader, then the cheerleader who likes Peter but can't admit it, and then slowly take her to this place where um, her affection for Peter is actually bringing her more pain. Um, and there's a nice moment because Peter's not a bad guy. He didn't come there to take pictures. I mean, obviously he came there as Spider-Man, but when he comes back around, he's not coming back around to take pictures. He's coming back around because he cares about uh, Liz and about MJ. And he knows this is going to be painful for them. And, and Liz is a good enough person by this time that when Peter says, I'm not here to take pictures, I'm here for you, or what, I don't remember the exact line, but yeah. along those lines, she doesn't say, I don't believe you. You know, she mm -hmm. does believe him because she can tell he's sincere and she lets him comfort her. Um, and all that is sincere. Now, the truth is, we all know, we've seen it prior to these episodes, let alone what's coming. Peter likes Liz, but is but wants to be with Gwen. But that doesn't mean he's not sincere in this moment when he's comforting her. He does care about her. Um, and I think it's really important. I mean, the one thing to keep in mind about this show, as compared to all the other shows I usually work on, which are um, really, truly ensemble shows, and I've, I've got to wrap up because I'm working today and I've got a Young Justice meeting. But, uh, but one of the things that's important is that and made this show for me unique is that this was not an ensemble show. This was a show, it's not like Gargoyles where Goliath is the Frank Perillo, but we've got this whole ensemble cast 
And it's certainly not like Young Justice or Star Wars Rebels where it's about a team. This is a show with one lead. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make the characters, both the villains and the supporting characters, whether they're antagonistic or uh, sympathetic or whatever, you want to make them well-rounded so that you buy into Peter. But this is a show that's really about Peter slash Spidey. And yet, so everything has to sort of circle that. Um, and, uh, and what you get out of this is, yes, you're getting something out of Liz and, out of, and something out of MJ, but you're also seeing it reflected in how Peter responds. Both as Spider-Man, you know, seeing two people he cares about in danger, literal danger, and his attempts to get Mark to just stop, you know, once he realizes who Mark is, uh, that is who Molten Man is. You also have um, seeing Peter, how he reacts both to Liz's accusation and to Liz falling apart. And um, he's a decent guy, not perfect, messed up in a lot of ways. And very much one of the things we always try to maintain for Peter, I think with tremendous success, is that he's still got the hormones of a 16-year-old. You know, Um, he is, as MJ is fond of saying about him, really easily distractible. And, And again, and I know I've said this on this show before, but the original pitch for that I made to kind of help get me the job is that, you know, they'd just come off all this stuff where everything was about, you know, uh, a Mary Jane in the Tobey Maguire movies that didn't have much in common with the Mary Jane that I grew up with. And fine, it was really sort of a portrait of Gwen with the name Mary Jane tacked on and the <laughs> wrong hair color. Um, but... But the thing, the thing was, is that it was really about the two of them. Mm-hmm. And what we, one of the things I pitched on the show from day one was that Peter Parker was madly, passionately in love with whatever girl happened to be standing in front of him at any given moment. And right. what we're evolving Peter to is the point where, no, that's not true. This really is going to be about Gwen in these early seasons, but he had to get there. He had to mature to get there. That as a 16 year old idiot, as most guys are when it comes most, well, really all guys, but when it comes to, you know, teenage boys and romance and love, um, I was going to limit it to heterosexual guys. And then I thought, no, that's not true either. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, no. All guys, um, you know, they're dumbasses um, and they have to learn not to be a dumbass because they're almost hardwired to be a dumbass, uh, right. let alone societally driven to be dumbasses. So between those two things, they have to evolve past that. And, um, and we were getting Peter there, but we hadn't gotten him there yet. But what it also meant was Peter's a decent guy. And, and it's not just that he's, you know, physically attracted to Liz or to MJ or to Gwen or to Betty or to black cat or anyone, <laughs> you know, um, it's that, yeah, the, all that's true, but also he truly cares about Liz. He may not be the right person for her or vice versa, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care about her. Um, he's just 
a dumbass. Um, anyway, I, I would love to talk about this more, but I really do have to go. I'm already four minutes late for a All right, Greg. design meeting. On okay, Greg, we, so we appreciate you guys can continue, but I have to go. All right, Greg, we'll, see you, we'll see you later for opening night. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Talk Bye. to you later, Greg. All right. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> And Nicole, right. I noticed you were I'm I noticed you were silent, but I'm sure you were silently agreeing, and I'll admit I was too. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I was just happy to listen. Well, I, I will tell you this. I didn't get to say this to Greg, but seeing the the point he talked about with Liz and, and Peter at the end, yeah. you can see how much he had he had matured simply because he didn't take any pictures. You know, in season mm-hmm. one, it it, it it affected his world so bad when he took pictures of the lizard and to see him uh, in this episode. And then symbiote theft later. Right, right. And so he'd he'd already seen it burn him, you know, now twice. So for him to be able to burn, no pun intended. (laughs) Uh, But to see him come back and say, okay, yeah, this this is um, one of those things that I don't need to to photograph for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See that seeing that growth of the character is something that you, you when you read the comics you see that growth over the years and so I was very very appreciated um, to see that in in Peter this episode so kudos to you Nicole because you wrote you wrote the episode so awesome well, thank you and thank you Nicole thank you for for everything are there any other final thoughts that you have on this ep- on this episode or any of the episodes you've written for the series or the series as a whole. Well, um, one thing I want to say about this episode that I really like is that um, that burned handprint, because it's really helpful to let you know what part of the story we're at. I think it's just such a great instant visual cue when you see that. Okay, so now we're we've happened, you know, we've had the attack in the uh, on the bar, and so since we do so much jumping around, we wanted to figure out a way that you could automatically know as an audience member where are we. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's one piece I like about this. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that I was glad I got to revisit the Shakespeare of it all because I got to do that one episode with all the auditions. And I think that's been one of the most satisfying things to write in my career was finding the appropriate you know, Shakespearean lines for those auditions to tie into the scene that would come after it. Right. Um, and so when Greg gave me that assignment, it was it was so cool. I just pulled out my college Shakespeare book anthology um, and, and my concordance side by side because I knew there were certain words I wanted to find. And so I went through every quote with those words. And at the end, I turned in my script with all of the references. And Greg said, great, I'm going to need page and line citations. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is like being back in college. <laughs> I had to go pull all those and like cite each one in footnotes. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, that. Those I'm, Sony execs are so such a stickler for Shakespeare. I, tell you. <laughs> I, 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 went I loved it. I once read an interview with um, the guys who were in charge of Batman, Brave and the Bold, and they were talking about Greg developing Young Justice in the next office over, and they said that their affectionate nickname for him was The Professor. <laughs> yep. I can believe it. That or Mr. Notecard, um, <laughs> which is, it's always amazing to see how he breaks out a story like that. That's, it's just incredible. What was it like being in the writer's room on this show? <laughs> So a lot of the times I'm just I have my jaw open because everyone is so smart and giving such good ideas and Greg knows everything. And I think that like I'm sorry, I'm spending a lot of this podcast bragging about him. I just I really professionally appreciate 
just his wealth of knowledge and his ability to know everything about a story and to track every single piece. And so one of the like most satisfying things to do when you're working with Greg Wiseman is to surprise him um, with a, something that maybe he didn't expect to happen for a character, but he set up this perfect launching pad for it to happen. Um, so yeah, I've always had a really good time in the writer's room. I, it's, it's always a, a lot of fun and just, it feels like the best discussion section ever that you could possibly have in school, being in those rooms. So, nice. a lot of other great writers. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And you so. mentioned looking up all the Shakespeare. Also, Greg Wiseman production, sooner or later, there's going to be either a little or a lot of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and I, I am here for it. <laughs> you know, uh, just, I'll say this. You know, you talk about how, how much you've, you've, you know, praised him, but this, this entire show, let's face it, Greg, uh, it, it's, it's to praise Greg. I mean, <laughs> like, like we're, we are so appreciative of your time and his time. And we, uh, and I, I think we try to always say, I always try to say this is how much we really do appreciate you guys taking the time to interact with us Definitely. fans because, and, and yours perspective is such, so unique because you started off as a fan, and got to and got to work with them professionally. So we so it, this this episode has been a real treat, and I'm really glad that I was able to be on for it. So thank you, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. thanks thanks for having us both on. Yeah, it's I gotta say it's such a compliment that you care, um, and so I'm I'm thrilled to talk about the show. Well, all these all these years later, people are still talking about this show. I mean, it's um I know the time Greg's no longer here, but at the time he said he and Vic set out to make the definitive Spider-Man show, and um, I don't know if it ever quite achieved that, but within two seasons it did become one of the two most discussed in a good way shows. I mean, it feels like when you're adapting a character like this, mm -hmm. something there's always going to be a bone of contention with every adaptation, and I'm not saying that it's never I've never seen any for this show, but it seems like it is practically mute. It's out there, but it's uh, not out, but it rarely ever comes up in the conversation. I'll say this, and, and this is something that that uh, I've, I've seen a lot of discussions about this show, especially on YouTube and stuff like that. This show got the spirit of Spider-Man more than I think any other in terms of what the translation from comic to, to animation and you know the 90s show did some did a lot of things right but did quite a few things wrong and before that i felt like it was like that was like a definitive show but until this one came out and this one did its two i mean it, it accomplished so much in two seasons and the amount of dense storytelling that occurs it's like layers of an onion. I mean, we, I think we've, we've peeled back that onion, I think pretty effectively in this particular recording, just because the amount of passion for the character that you have, uh, Nicole and that Greg had and, and, you know, having those phone books, you know, handy dandy <laughs> essentials, <laughs> phone books that they don't even publish anymore. Um, you know, those, uh, it's just a testament to what Stan and Stan and Steve and, and John did but also a testament to what you guys were able to accomplish. Because I, I honestly think this is when I bring cartoons to my nephews or my, my daughter, 
like this is like if I want to introduce them to Spider-Man, this is going to be amongst the first things that I put in front of them because it's just going to be like, all right, you're going to get the character here. <laughs> so, you you know, uh, whereas, you know, necessarily with the newer stuff, you're you're getting some of the character, but not, it just didn't feel as rounded as, as what you and you guys were able to accomplish on this show. So, uh, Greg, I'll I'll. I'll ask the, the simple question. You kind of mentioned what you're working. What are you working on now, Nicole? What's you're, you're a showrunner? What, what are you What are you doing these days? Uh, besides being a, quarantined in your house, right? <laughs> yeah. How is COVID treating you? <laughs> well, I've spent a lot of time training my dog. I now have a trick that I can do where if I if I sneeze, he will go and grab a handkerchief and bring it to me. So I feel like that's been my big accomplishment in quarantine. That's well done. Um, <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Party tricks for my dog, but um. No, I'm actually, I'm working on a couple of really exciting things that unfortunately I cannot talk about. Um, I, I often joke that my initials ND um, quickly lead into NDA. So um, <laughs> right. all I can do is say stay tuned and in a couple of years we can talk about that. <laughs> it, well, hopefully it's not going to take us a couple of years to talk about Final Curtain, but... You know. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Hopefully not. And Nicole, it was definitely a pleasure to bring you on here and definitely a pleasure to find out that you had a similar background with Greg that I did. I mean, we, I've, you're not the first. I mean, we've, we've known a few. I mean, Zira Fazal, who you mentioned before, who started out going to a convention and now voices Halo on Young Justice Season mm-hmm. 3 and I assume Season 4. And Jennifer L. Anderson, who is a, the production assistant on this show, who started out mm-hmm. going, attending and then later running the conventions. I mean, it's... Uh, I didn't quite have the exact same luck. I I went to film school at the time when this show was in production, and uh, due to some, let's just say, what? monetary and, and car accident issues, I wasn't mm. able to stay in L.A. long enough to begin starting my career. So That, that wasn't the accident that you got in with Greg, right? No, was, no. Okay. <laughs> One last question for Nicole, because uh, obviously we know you, you've got to probably go, and we appreciate you spending the time. Where can they find you? What, are you on social media? Is there places on social media where you post? Is there... I am. Yes. I've actually, I'm probably on Twitter the most. Um, and I'm always making, you know, show announcements or, you know, retweeting people doing musicals from avatar as I did today. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's just, it's just Nicole Dubuque at Nicole Dubuque. You can find me there. Um, And circling back to the beginning of this, uh, conversation, did you find Greg's selfie on there? Oh my gosh. I did. I almost interrupted like the podcast just to say i see it this is amazing so i'm really <laughs> jealous i guess i guess vogel saw him in person with that now i'm sad that i missed it but uh, wow. at least we have photographic evidence <laughs> yeah i called him gandalf steve blum on twitter called him santa claus <laughs> that's good we we see what we need to see right <laughs> yes hey at least he had at least he had mostly positive things going i looked like charles manson until i trimmed it <laughs> <laughs> List, you oh know, gosh. luckily when I started shaving my head because uh, my wife got half of my hair in the divorce. Uh, oh. <laughs> so uh, luckily for me, I've been able to, you know, use a clipper to keep my hair, my hair trimmed. And so uh, I, I don't know what I would have done during this quarantine if I had kept growing my hair out. <laughs> so <laughs> completely yep. understand. But yeah, thank you again. I I feel like I've sure said thing. thank you four or five times, but it, it really has been a, such a pleasure. And I'm so happy that we were able to get this, this episode. Me too. Oh, 
Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. So, all right. And I want to say my final thank you. Thank you to Nicole for coming on. Thank you to Greg for being on. I hope yes, Greg. I hope your meeting going on right now is productive. We'll see you again next time when we discuss opening night, the penultimate episode of the season with all of that Shakespeare that Greg loves so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And next time here on Spectacular Radio, we'll be doing our fan panel with our with our friend Gerard. And you'll be able to hear us espouse more on this particular episode. So we're really excited about that. So we'll see you next time here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Is filmed before a live studio audience. Oi, itsy bitsy, what about me? <laughs>